Luke chapter 7. It's the first 10 verses. Get my glasses so I can see. I've got to get bigger words in my Bible. It says, After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built our, our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does this. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned to the crowd that followed him. I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. That's Luke's account. And then over in Matthew, we see Matthew's account. Starts in verse 5 of chapter 8. Very similar text. It says, When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. He said to him, I will come and heal him. Those were Jesus' words. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the utter darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the centurion said to Jesus, and to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Well, first of all, you can tell there's some slight differences between the two, right? And uh, we know that that the Bible is without error, so there must be a reason for this. You know, when I think about the Gospels and the different uh, ways that the stories are told, you know, one one of the reasons that we know that uh, this is factual truth, honestly, is because the stories differ. I mean, think about it. If they all lined up exactly, you know, you would know that somebody had got together and kind of decided what to say, right? So, Probably, you know, lots of people have talked about why there's differences. I'm sure that God just wanted us to see a different perspective. You know, you see in the one, it talks more about they had sent the elders out to, to meet Jesus and to talk to him. And Matthew kind of short-circuited it and went straight to Jesus talking to the centurion. You know, maybe one wants us to see a little bit more about how he deals with people. And maybe the other wants us to see a little bit more about his heart, the heart of centurion. 
We don't really know, but I think you can learn from both of them, and both of them kind of just give you a different perspective. And we all know this story as being a story that you've probably heard before, I'm sure. Most people in here have probably heard this story, and it's one that we use and tell quite often uh, as an illustration of what faith looks like, right? That's, the, that's normally how this is told and how it's taught. Even Jesus says, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. If you looked at the, uh, the, the message Bible, it uses the word, it says, simple faith. You know, I, I like that word. I like that simple faith. You know, if you've heard me teach uh, any over these last couple of years, you know that one of my pet peeves is I don't like it when people start talking about big faith. You know, big faith is, it, it, there is really no such thing as big faith. The Bible talks about just a little small amount of faith in a big God, right? It's one of my great pet peeves because what happens is I have found that if you start thinking it somehow relates to the size of your faith, you start thinking it, it's about you. Jared talked a little bit about that tonight, right, in, in parenting. You start thinking that, okay, if God didn't answer my prayer, all right, maybe I didn't have enough faith, right? You've all heard people say that. I've had people come to me. And say, you know, Scott, what, what's wrong? I mean, is my faith just not strong enough? And I just want to tell you, that is just a lie from Satan. It has nothing to do with your faith, the size of your faith. I mean, the Bible tells us what? That our righteous acts, our best, whatever the best we have is what? Like filthy rags. So it's not about our faith. It's the object of our faith that makes the difference, right? So it, it, it really brings me to a, ask a question about this passage. It makes me wonder. I wonder if the centurion ever for a moment thought that Jesus would not heal the servant. I mean, think about that. I mean, do you think that, that he thought for a moment that maybe, just maybe, the answer will be no? I mean, because we all have had the answer be no, right? We know sometimes that, that just because we pray in faith that necessarily it doesn't come true. We don't get always what we want. So I wonder if you ever thought that. You know, and to me, I believe the answer probably has to be yes. Okay? I think the answer has to be yes. And I'll tell you why. Because, because he's talking about, he said, listen, I, I have people under authority too, right? I know, I know how to report to somebody. I know how to, to govern men. This is a centurion that probably is like a captain in the army. He's probably got a hundred men under him. Okay, and he talks about it. He says, when I say go, they go. When I say come, they come. When I say do something, they do that, right? So he, if, you're, if you're in that position, okay, there will be times where you tell somebody to do something and they have to do it and they don't like it. Where they may not get the answer that they want, right? We, we know that. Anybody that's ever led anybody knows that you're not always going to do everything that pleases everyone. And I think that this man of authority, he probably knew that. He probably went to Jesus knowing that. That's why he's talking this way. Hey, you have all the authority. I know what that's like. I know how, what it means to have authority over people's lives so I can tell them what to do. But again, he must have known with that authority sometimes comes just you make decisions that aren't always popular, right? So I think that he probably knew, okay, that, that maybe the answer was going to be no. He didn't really know that, right? He didn't know that's what it was about. So when we look at this story, it's kind of interesting that we can look at it as a moment in time, okay, and just one instance of faith, right? But I think you can look also a little bit deeper at this. I think you can look a little bit deeper because 
if you think about it, you know, faith isn't ever really just one moment. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole story. And I'll talk about it a little bit about it at the end where you can talk about this story in terms of salvation. And he gets to the heart of salvation. You can always see the gospel, can't you, in the gospels, all right? But I think if you think about faith, all right, to me, faith is a life of faith. It's not a moment in time, all right? It's a life of being faithful. You know, I titled this, this lesson, Faith-Full, Full of faith, the centurion, a faithful man. And I got that because I was, I was studying this and I came across a, uh, a quote from John Piper where he was in part quoting Billy Graham and he said, he said, God will not reward fruitfulness. He will reward faithfulness. The centurion was faithful. He said, I want to be like him when I grow up. You know, and I think that's kind of the key, if you want to know the truth, to, 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 to life as a Christian, is, is to living this faithful life. You know, because if you, if you start looking just at those moments, if we start just reading this just for the moment, then you can go up and down in life, can't you, based on the circumstance. You know, based on whether you're getting maybe what you expect. You know, you can have a pretty up and down life if all you're doing is looking at the moment. But it's not just about the moment. It's about this life, okay? It's about this life lived of faithfulness. And what I want to do tonight is I want to look at this centurion. And it's hard to do, I know, in just a few verses. But I want to see if we can, from this text and this scripture, if we can find out anything about this person. What can we find out about this, this great man that Jesus says, never have I seen such great faith. Because like I said, you, you rarely will see an instance where a, a moment, a person would exhibit this kind of faith just on an instant. Never done anything else, right? It would probably come from somebody who had lived a life of faithfulness, right? It wouldn't just be he just woke up one day and all of a sudden had this, this, this faith that Jesus categorizes as, I've never seen it before. I've been all over. I've been doing my ministry. I've never, ever seen it before. So I want to look at this person. I want to see, like, what can we learn from him about his life? And I came up with, with eight things. And I got a handout on the table that you can fill in as we go. But eight different things that I can kind of glean from Scripture that maybe kind of gives us a little bit of, of thought in terms of what it means to live this kind of faithful life. The first thing that I, I noticed was he was a good man. You know, it's funny, that's a term that uh, when I was a kid growing up, I wasn't raised in a church and didn't have, you know, Christian parents. So for me, the, the standard was, you know, were you a good man? Yeah. You know, my papa, I think, was a good man. I don't know that he was a Christian to this day, but I think he was a good man. He was a hardworking, ethical man. You know, he did a good job, uh, did his job well. You know, I think that's important, isn't it? I mean, it isn't everything, you know, and we kind of shy away from that term because we want to talk in holy terms about, you know, it's all about Christ, but there's nothing wrong with being a good person. There's nothing wrong with working hard and being ethical. There's a great book I've talked a lot about in here called Home Run that talks a lot about that, about, you know, being an ethical person, getting your morals down pat, you know, and, and it's interesting to me that one of the reasons I know that he's a good man is, it's just because of the way he treats his servant in the story. It's one, we'll talk a little bit more about that, but it's very interesting that every time we talk about a centurion in Scripture, always a good man. It's very interesting. Every time that, that there's one mentioned, it's always a good man. It's the, it's the centurion, remember, at the cross, when Jesus was on the cross, and he said, truly, he is the Son of God, portrayed in a very good light. 
there was Cornelius, right? The first uh, New Testament convert, Gentile convert. And the Bible said he was a devout man. He feared God. And there were several instances where centurions came to the rescue of, of Paul. You can go read in, in, in Acts chapter 22 or Acts chapter 23 or Acts chapter 27. Always portrayed in a good light. So here, I think that this centurion, he was a good man, you know, and that's a good thing, right? He was also generous. He was a generous man. You know, if you look at, uh, at, the, at the Luke version, what does it say? He says that, that this man built our synagogue. Very interesting, right? He was generous, generous to the Jewish nation. He, he, he literally either gave them the money or probably gave them the money and helped them build it. He wasn't necessarily a rich man, probably. So this is probably a sacrificial giving for him. So he was a generous. He was definitely compassionate, wasn't he? He was definitely a compassionate man. I mean, he talked about the servant. You can tell how much he cared for him. He said that he was highly valued. Remember that? And it said that he was suffering terribly. So he was a generous man. He was a compassionate man. How about this one? He was not afraid to take a risk for Jesus. I mean, if you're going to live a life of faithfulness, okay, you better be willing to take a risk for Jesus, especially today. I mean, more and more in today's world, you know, you're, if you're going to live for Christ, you're going to take a risk. You know, think about how hard it would have been for this centurion. I mean, you know, the, the, the Roman Empire didn't really love the Jewish people. All right, they weren't the kindest, if you will, to the Jewish people. You know, so here is this centurion, this captain, right below the, the, the Rome, if you will, answering to Caesar. And here he is willing at all costs to risk everything to go to Jesus, to take that risk. You know, if you're going to live a life faithful, you've got to be willing to take a risk for Jesus. I think we see that in the centurion. I think we see that he was a servant himself. He was what we might call a servant leader. You know, I mean, this servant of his would have been a slave. Had no status whatsoever. The lowest of the low. And the risk he's taking is for this slave. He's a servant. He's serving him. Humbly serving him. And that's my next one. He's a humble man. Number six, he's a humble man. I mean, note what the Jews said, though. I mean, this is just very typical, right? So what's their words? They came out and said that uh, Jesus, he is worthy. Why? Probably because he helped build our synagogue. He was a big dude. You know, he helped us. So he is worthy. But what was his words to Jesus? I'm not worthy. I don't deserve it. Right? He understood grace. You know, he understood grace. He not only understood his shortcomings, that he wasn't worthy. He was conscious of his own sin, but he also recognized the holiness of Jesus. I'm not worthy for you to come. I'm not worthy. And isn't it interesting that, 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 that the faithful one is usually the one that is the most humble, isn't it? It's that person that's, that's filled with the faith of God that's, that's generally the one that recognizes their shortcomings the most. You ever notice that? And it's the one that's not, though, uh, okay, that thinks everything they do is right. There's something about falling under the love of, of Jesus and knowing what he did for us on the cross that, that humbles you, makes you recognize that, that, that you're not all that, okay, that you're not all that. So he was a humble man. I'll tell you what else he did. He put God's will above his own. 
He put God's will above his own. I love this part of it. I mean, think about what he says in there. He says, Jesus, do not trouble yourself. Listen, what you've got to do is way more important than what I've got to do. Your life and your mission and what you're doing on this earth and what you're trying to do is way more important than what I'm doing. Do not trouble yourself, okay? You don't have to come to my house. That's an important thing. There's a great message in that, isn't there? It's a great lesson in that. Because if you're going to live a life of faithfulness, you better be willing to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Christ, right? Put his will in front of your will. Just this week, I was reading a, a, a blog that came out from John Mazel at East West Ministries. He's talking about this. He asked this question. He said, how many of us are pressing our interest and agenda over God's interest and agenda? He says that the Jesus of culture has an agenda for Christians that involves safety first, security always, self-protection, no matter what. But the Jesus of Scripture, he says, that being more concerned about God's agenda than when ours is a call of all Christians. That's the call of all Christians is to be more concerned about God's agenda than our agenda. And the Bible does make this clear, right? It says that for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. It's not about us. You know, if you're going to live a life of faithfulness, all right, it's about what God wants. You know, on this journey of faith, it's not about us. It's about what God, and, and, and the centurion, he knew that. He knew where he ranked in God's kingdom. He knew where he ranked in God's kingdom. It was about God, not about him. I'll tell you what else he was. He knew God. Maybe the most important. He knew God. That's kind of really what the whole thing is about is he knew God. Remember he said, just say the word. I mean, contrast that with, remember when Lazarus was raised from the dead and and Mary and Martha, and, and what did they say when they came out to meet and greet Jesus when he had come there? What did they say to him? He said, if you would have only been here, right? If you'd, have been only, if you'd only been here, you could have saved him. But, but look at the centurion. What does he say? You don't have to come. I know you don't need to be here. Just say the word. All you got to do is say the word. He knew the authority and power of, of God. He knew God for who he was. You know, we talked about the resurrection a few weeks ago and that Jesus is God being so important for us to, to grasp and understand that. That's one thing he knew. Finitum non capax infinite means the finite cannot contain the infinite. All right, what it means is, is that we will never be able to understand the ways of God. R.C. Sproul says, we do not have the ability to see things from the eternal perspective. The eternal perspective belongs to God. So important to know who God is, to know his authority, his power. That's really what this is all about. He knew the power and he knew the authority of Jesus. He knew that even if Jesus, we, we talk all the time, and Jared talked about it's not about Jesus, the relationship, but as much as Jesus is a relationship, Jesus is also God. Jesus is God. That's important to always remember. Okay, we don't always understand everything that's happening in our lives. We don't ever always understand, you know, what takes place in our journey and why. We're never always going to understand the eternal perspective of God. But we do need to know and understand that he's in control. He is the one that, that moves the world. 
it's all in his control, isn't it? I mean, the God that created the universe, created the oceans. I mean, just think about that. I always, every time I'm at him, we're going to get to go to the ocean here in this next week or so. And every time I'm there, I just, I just love looking out and just, just seeing the majesty of God. I mean, just think about the power of an ocean. It's unbelievable what God, he controls it all. He's in control. He, he, he controls every moment of our lives. He's, he's had it planned out since before we were born. That's what he knew. He knew God. He knew his, his power. He knew his authority. I mean, really, isn't that the key? I mean, that's the key, isn't it, to living this life of faith? I mean, to know the authority and to know that whatever happens in your life, whatever ups and downs, you know, whatever the answer might be, that God's in control. That's really what it's all about. You know, so when I think about this, and I think about, okay, what's, you know, what, what do we learn from this? Okay, it's great, Scott, you've told me, you gave me these great characteristics, and I think they're great things that, that we all should apply to our life, because I think that's, that's good characteristics of a faithful life, all right? Somebody that's humble, somebody that's generous, all right? A servant, a servant, not afraid to take a risk, okay, that, that puts God's will before their own will, and certainly somebody that knows God. But really what I want us to that, that take away from tonight, because when I, when I look at this and I read this, this, these passages, and, I, and again, it's, it's wonderful. We've got this one moment, right, where he says the word and he heals him. And that's great. It's wonderful to celebrate that. But listen, I'm telling you, faith doesn't always work that way when you're, it's lived out in your life. Okay, it, always, it isn't just some kind of trick you can bring out. All right, it's not something where, okay, this, this morning I'm going to wake up and you know what, I need something. All right, I'm going I'm to have this simple faith. I'm going I'm to pray hard today and it's going to happen. That's just not the way it works normally. Faith is like a DNA. All right, it just becomes who you are. That's what a life of faithfulness is. It's part of your DNA. It's not about where you came from. I mean, this, this town of Capernaum, it's a small little fishing village. There's probably 50 people from there. All right, it's not about your background. It's not about your race. I mean, it wasn't about him being a, a Gentile versus a Jew. It certainly wasn't about his status. I mean, Jesus could care less that he built a synagogue. All right, it wasn't about money or any of those kinds of things. No, it was about this life this life of faithfulness, you know, because what it allows you to do when you live this life of faithfulness, when you live this way, and when you know God and you know his authority and you know his control, you know what it allows you to do? It, no matter what comes your way, no matter what the world throws at you, no matter whether the answer is, is yes or no, you're going to be okay. And you know that. That's what real faith is about, isn't it? You know, when I think of it, I think of this, that when you learn to live a faithful life, you learn to really breathe the breath of God. You learn to breathe the very breath of God. I'll tell you, there's a person, Mike Fechner taught me this. One of the great things that I got, I got so many things in my life that I could talk about so much from Mike Fechner, just the, the hours that he spent with me, just, just mentoring me and teaching me and helping me. But one of the things I learned from Mike was that you had to breathe the breath of God. Every single day, every single day, faith was just about the small things. Faith was about, you know, being the good person, was about being generous, 
was about being humble before God, was about putting his will first and taking a risk on a daily basis. And it was doing this every day, day in, day out, every single day. It wasn't a moment in time. It wasn't just one snapshot in the book of Luke or Matthew. It wasn't that one moment. Yeah, there will be times like that. That's not what it was, though. It's, it's living this day in, day out, this faithful life. That's what I learned from Mike. And listen, it, you know, it doesn't mean that everything's going to come true, that you're going to get everything that you pray for. I mean, Mike knew that. He'd be here today if that was the case. I can't tell you how many times that we prayed in tears for his life. I have no idea why he's not here. No idea. I mean, I, I, I can't even think of anybody that I felt more closer to Jesus than when I walked with Mike. I don't know why God would have taken him. I think about that all the time. So many people that know him, every time somebody gets sick and, and, and they're maybe headed toward death, you know, they'll always a lot of times come to me and say, well, I, you know, we prayed and Mike died. I don't, okay, I don't know. God's in control. I know God. I know his authority. I know Mike's in a better place, right? So I know that, that just from walking with him, it's not always just about what you get, right? It's not always about the answers that you want to see. It's about every day, day in, day out, living this faithful life. That's what it's all about. That's the kind of person that, that he talks about is going to recline at the table in heaven. What a beautiful picture that is, isn't it? Is this faithful person. It's going to get to dine with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Isn't that what it said there in the kingdom of heaven? It's a great, great illustration here too. It talks about, what does he say about the Jewish? He, he talks about that the sons of the kingdom. He's talking about the Jewish people there. He said they will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, think about how outrageous this statement is. Here's a Gentile that's going to be in heaven and the Jews that are there, you're going to go to hell. It's a great illustration of the gospel, isn't it? it? Takes faith in one person, Jesus Christ, who is also God. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about in this life of faithfulness is pointing people to Jesus also, isn't it? Good friend of mine, Chuck Anderson. Love Chuck. He's a great man, a great friend of mine. He goes to Watermark. He was telling me about a, a pastor recently that they had come in to speak from India. And I thought this was so interesting. He said that uh, it just stuck out with him in his mind. He said, this pastor came in. He said, listen, there's two things. And I put this on there as well. There's two things that we can do here that we cannot do in heaven. Two things we can do here that we cannot do in heaven. Help people and tell them about Jesus. Think about that. You're not going to be able to do that in heaven. You can do a lot of things out there. We're going to sing and worship, and we're going to do a lot of loving. We're going to spend a lot of time with Jesus and a lot of good things. But helping people, because there's going to be no needs in heaven. If you're there, you're going, to not, you're going to know Jesus, right? Two things we can do. Help people and tell them about Jesus. I believe that the centurion was that kind of a person. I believe he was that kind of a person. So listen, when we think about this story, I do think about it from, from a faith. It's a great story of faith, isn't it? Just a simple faith. Not a big faith, just a simple faith in a big God. We can marvel at it and think about the healing miracle. And listen, we should believe. We should pray and we should have faith and we should believe in big, big things. We should have faith. We should believe that God is going to heal. He is going to find William. That's what we should do. We should believe and we should pray that. 
But we also shouldn't miss the faithfulness represented by the centurion. Because that's really what God wants. He wants a life lived of faithfulness. Because listen, when you do that, all right, there's going to be plenty of miracles along the way. God's going to show himself to you in so many different ways. Uh, it, it will amaze you by his glory. But what you will also get to do, though, is when you don't get maybe what you're expecting, when life isn't as good, all right, and I've been there. All right, I, I, I look back in my life, and I went through several years. Thank God it was years that Mike was there with me. Several years where I felt like I was just crawling through glass and fire and misery and yuck and just ugliness. And I never, ever, ever, ever thought it would end. And I just look back over those times, and I just think about how, how God just how God just molded me and how he helped build my faith, my life of faithfulness during that time. If I wouldn't have had that time, and it was hard. You know, I just, I never could really fully understand and appreciate it. But what it did is it let me know that God's in charge. When I knew God and knew his authority, and today, you know, there's still tough times, I can tell you that. But listen, just knowing that God's in control, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, God's in control. He loves us. That's what a life of faithfulness is about. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. God, I pray, Lord, that, uh, God, for each of us in here, Lord, you'd help us just to be who you've called us to be, Lord, and that's just people of faith, that live a life of faithfulness. God, every day, just, just searching after you, living, knowing who you are, what you mean to us, Lord, the authority over our lives. God, just help us just to press into you, not worry about the outcome. Believing, God, believing whatever happens is in accordance with your will and for our good. So, Lord, I pray for each person as we leave, Lord, as we go out this week ahead, Lord, fill us with your spirit. Lord, let us show your love to others. Make a difference, God. Point people to Jesus. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.